Welcome to Visma Ski Classics podcast, Livinio to Levin. Visma Ski Classics is the long-distance ski championships with 12 Pro Tour events and 35 Pro teams, bringing professional and recreational skiers together. We will analyze the events on the tour, portray the legends of the sport, and help you to become a better skier. Andreas Nigor, a pro team athlete from Northern Norway representing Team Ragde Eiendom, is one of the most successful Visma Ski Classics legends with his 11 states wins and seven other podium places. He is a two-time Hertz champion and a two-time sprint competition winner. Additionally, he has one second place and one third place in the overall Hertz champion competition and two second places and one third place in the sprint competition. His first victory and his first podium place was at Vasalope, China in 2017. He has successfully worked his way from a world-class sprinter to a full-blown champion, and he's known for his extreme endurance and his amazing ability to sprint really fast at the end of races. The speeding bullet is 193 centimeters tall and weighs 90 kilos. Hello and welcome, Andreas Nygård. Hello, hello. Thank you so much. So do you say Nygård or Nygård? Yeah, I know why we get uh, O when we have double A, so it's Nygård. Nygård. And you live way up in Norway. Yeah, currently I'm living in Tromsø with my girlfriend, so yeah, quite far up on the, on the map it is. What makes Northern Norway so special? <laughs> ah, the special thing about Northern Norway, I guess, it's the fact that it's above the Arctic Circle. So in the summertime, especially, it's daylight uh, 24 hours around. And in the wintertime, it's get, it gets really, really dark. And uh, besides of that, it's fantastic scenery and not so good weather i have to admit <laughs> so in uh, in Tromsø, it's not where you come from where, where is the town called i moved here 10 years ago but uh, i'm actually a, i'm from a little place a little bit further north because yeah next to alta a bigger village where peter Liasen and finogen krog lives i grew up in a town called uh, talvik and then my parents divorced and my mom moved to Burfjord which is the club I'm currently racing for and I've done the last 15 years and my dad moved to Alta so I spent a lot of time in Alta with my dad and when I'm not there I'm either here in Tromsø or at my mom's place which is something in between those two cities. Yeah I would have been there but now we have the coronavirus so so I couldn't make the trip to, to Tromsø, but <laughs> for how long do do they groom the ski trails? Usually they groom it uh, on the mountains. They grew it groom it to yeah throughout May is the the usual one. But it depends on the snow. This year it's it's quite a lot of snow. I guess it's one and a half meter on flat ground now, uh, but. Uh, it's been raining, raining today, and the weather forecast it uh, says it's going to rain a little bit more. So we will see, but we will be skiing here for at least, at least out May. Uh, maybe not in the competition tracks on the island, but on the mainland we will uh, ski for quite a, yeah, a long time. So do you switch to roller ski in the end of May then, or like do you don't? Yeah. How do you the, do? Ah, uh, the goal, the goal every year is to not roller ski before the first of June. So uh, trying to stay away from the roller skis as as long as possible. So when we have good winters, we actually can ski the the whole May and uh, start roller skiing in June. Hi, my name is uh, Bjorn Thomas. I'm uh, Andreas's older brother, three years older. 
And we grew up together skiing. We grew up in a small place just outside Alta with only like 500 people. Then we had uh, a father who was very <laughs> outdoorsy and took us on a lot of expeditions from an early age. So we got to have some uh, long, long trips in the mountains. And that's when I actually first noticed that uh, Andreas was uh, pretty strong. And I remember one time because we had a, our father is pretty young. So we were on a long trip with uh, some of his friends, like, hiking for three days with a tent and they were going really fast they were probably around 30 only in pretty good shape and i remember he was like maybe 10 or 11 he was just walking past me really fast and i could just see he was crying inside and also on the outside but he was pushing just to close the gap to those guys and uh, it was strong-minded pretty early on and we started skiing more in the winter time. He was pretty good in the classic style. A couple of first years as a junior, he he wasn't skiing so fast. But when he was like 18, I think his physique starting to come together a little bit. And he was did a couple of very good sprints, I remember. And also, I had nowhere so showed some talent on a 90k. Uh, Sami Skiris, I remember he was skiing against uh, Kari Varis, who I think have done some World Cups. And they came came to my father, who was giving, uh, who was a serviceman for him. And uh, it was in the middle of the race, like 40, 50 Ks. And Kari was saying to his serviceman, uh, who is this guy? I can't get rid of him. And and because he had never heard of him, I think Andreas was 18. He was 90 K double polling and then Andreas won the sprint in the end, so yeah, then he was really coming together physically and uh, was talented both in the long, long races and the short, fast ones, especially in classic. Wow. Your brother, is he still an elite skier? Uh, <laughs> uh, my brother is not an uh, elite skier anymore. He has, uh, he has been training... Not that much the last years. He is uh, on his fifth and last year on his master degree on the university. So he's training every day, but uh, not at the level he wish and dream for, I, I think. So in Visma Ski Classics, you've been very successful. You have 11 event victories. You've won the whole uh, the Jello champion bib for two times and you have won the Vassalopet, you have won the Berkey uh, and one time you have won a race, an event when it was not a sprint and it was uh, Ulus Levy. You've succeeded in long distance skiing but how was, how what kind of performance did you have before the long distance skiing? I, as every kid growing up, uh, dream about I also dreamt about the world championships and the Olympic Games and the traditional World Cup. You you can watch on TV with Klabu and yeah, all the stars. But I uh, never had the level that you yeah or the level or the talent or the I just didn't ski fast enough to become a traditional skier uh, racing the traditional races and. Quite early on, I discovered that my talent were in the longer distances and especially on races where there was a lot of double polling. Um, I'm quite a big and heavy guy, so I guess my strength is in the upper body and maybe uh, the more flatter parts of a, of, a, of a race course. So, yeah, it just came naturally for me. And after the Vassalop in 2014, I... I went, I got a chance to go all in on long distance skiing and since the day, yeah, I crossed, crossed the finish line in 2014 in Vasalop, uh, I uh, went uh, all in on long distance skiing. So so what was your best result before that on a, on a national championships or a Scandinavian Cup? Or, or yeah, I reached, um, I guess I reached some finals in Scandinavian Cup in in classic sprint and 
the, the World Cup Classic Sprint in um, Drammen three, four days after Vasaloppe 2014 and the national championships have uh, been, yeah, I think uh, 16th or 17th on the 50K when I was 21 is the best the best traditional result that uh that i got yeah and you mentioned the vasalopet in 2014 uh before that your best you had skied a few vasalopet in berkey your best result was 40th place and you got from 40th as a best to sixth place as a best so it's a kind of a remarkable race um, and I remember I, the first time I met you was the day before Allianz Loppet in 2014. And you told me a, a story about your sunglasses in 2014. What what happened with those? <laughs> yeah, yeah. as you mentioned, I, I raced the Vasloppet 2013, but then I broke my pole in the bottom of the first, first long climb and was skiing 10k without a pole so the whole race got got destroyed there i actually think i would have done quite a bit better without that but the year after i got six and uh, yeah as you mentioned i someone whipped uh, my glasses off my head halfway there and um, at that time i didn't my financial weren't uh, my financial situation wasn't as good as is as it is today i was studying and yeah living on a really really low budget so after yeah 150 meters i decided that i yeah i cannot leave those glasses behind i uh, i just bought them they were really expensive so i yeah, made up my mind and stopped, let the whole group pass me and I turned around and picked up the glasses <laughs> and then I skied for I don't know how long and I caught up with the group again. But I was I was really, really lucky because it was 2014, it was snowing heavily and the pace was really, really slow and I was saved by that. And uh, How late I, in the race was this? Ah, it no, it was not late at all. I guess it must have been at that time. I didn't know any single name on the track, but I think it must have been somewhere between, uh, yeah, somewhere between Riesberg uh, and uh, Evertsberg. So it was quite early on, and the pace wasn't wasn't that high and my ambitions weren't high at all so yeah but this, just had to pick them up it's interesting because because you're kind of famous for uh, for being uh, pretty calm i mean you 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 uh, you don't stress up when there is a, a group uh, goes away you can stay in, in the big group and uh, maybe you have <laughs> you had that feature already in 2014 you were kind of <laughs> secure about how the group was moving <laughs> i wish but i guess i just were i just was broke financial <laughs> so uh, i had to i had to pick up my new glasses and uh, luckily it turned out quite well so yeah so, and then you got picked up by the outlands team yeah and you right. stayed there since that yeah have to follow the outland guys so yeah i was I was really, really lucky after uh, after that race. They approached me, and uh, we got along quite quite well from the beginning. And uh, yeah, and ever since it has been uh, the Oakland team for me. And uh, I have to admit, without without the Oakland brothers and the team and the, and the other teammates on the team these years, I would have never yeah never gotten where I'm where i'm am today so yeah i yeah pretty lucky about that so what was your, your impression then you skied uh, this ski classic season in 2015 uh, the races how how was what was your impressions like not only your results but the whole uh, circuit uh, i remember when i got uh, sixth place in the vasalop and even turned to pick up my glasses i thought that uh, <laughs> Oh yeah, 
this was uh, quite easy, easy to get <laughs> uh, good results. The level isn't that high. So, yeah, this will be something for me. I think I will win this race many, many times in the future. <laughs> so uh, I remember the year after I... Uh, got a little bit shocked over the over the speed and the and the pace and the level of the athletes and uh, i remember dying every competition and still being way way yeah big many many minutes behind the leader so i thought uh, this was this was even harder than doing traditional skier because it was the same pace but the distance were two three four times longer so <laughs> it was uh, it was a tough tough year for me but uh, traveling around the world seeing seeing amazing places and visiting europe and doing all these these long distance races with a lot of people and a lot of tradition it was something i appreciated a lot and i thought it was amazing to be honest and i felt i was i was living the dream big time and then uh, in 2015, then you were 17th in total that season, 2015. And, and then I joined you for a camp, and I remember you were really strong in one hour double pulling uphill uh, a mountain in Spain. Um, and then I thought, oh, this guy will win everything in 2016 because he has the sprint and he has the endurance. But then <laughs> nothing really happened between 2015 and 2016. You were your best result was still like ninth in Yuserska. How, how was your development at that time? Uh, I think I uh, I think I developed quite a bit, but uh, roller skiing and skis isn't the same. And I think especially in the younger years, I I always been. Uh, better on roller skis than I have been skiing because when you're quite big and tall and strong you you get a lot of yeah feedback from the from the ground when you're roller skiing compared with skiing and uh, yeah 2016 I actually think was quite a good season for me I think I Maybe I won the green bib. I'm not quite sure if it was that year, but I think I won the green bib, and that was my main focus that year. I didn't focus that much on that much on uh, the overall score. I had a had a plan of trying to win the the to win the green bib, but um, yeah. So it's it's a little bit hard to compare. I think it was. I thought it was really really hard going both for the green points and. I'm going for the end result. Yeah, you won the. Talking about the green bib, you won that one year, and after that you said, "Oh, it was just a bucket list thing. I'm not going to go for the green bib anymore." And then you won it the year after anyway. Can you explain <laughs> that? Yeah, yeah. I I guess it was just the consequence of me being quite strong and being quite fast and. Not so many other people aiming for the green bib. I think the competition for the green bib has has been increasing uh, every year since that. And uh, when you go, I did get a good start. I remember in the green points that season. And uh, when you get a good start, it's easier for you to focus on it. And some of the other guys are more ah, yeah. Let's do something else because we are way way back now and um, mm-hmm. yeah so and I th- also think it was because I I felt I wasn't strong enough going for for um, for the yellow bib so even though I think I ended up podium on the yellow bib also that year winning the green bib so yeah but for me it was always just step by step and. For me, in the long run, it was the yellow bib who was the main goal. Yeah. Anton Carlson once mentioned he won the green bib and then he was going to go for it the year after because he said that I need to be fast enough to win the green bib and it gives me confidence to win the yellow bib for it as the next step. Can you, you have done that step, winning the green bib and then winning the yellow bib. How, how important is that sprint bib? I mean, psychologically. Mm. Yeah, 
in today's skiing, I think you have a big advantage being fast because the level is just getting higher and higher and more and more even. And there's a lot of strong guys and you have to be exceptional if you're going to ski away and get a huge gap to everybody else, like Petr Eliasson and Tordasli Adon have done sometimes. And yeah, it all it quite often comes down to a sprint finish. And if you have won the green bib, you you know you can win a bunch sprint fighting with the other yellow yellow contenders. So it's uh, it's a nice step on the way of trying to win the yellow bib, but uh, I don't think it's uh, it is an yeah, maybe the a thing you must do. We have seen people winning the yellow bib usually not being so good in the green bib. But I think I'm yeah, one of those who have yeah, one of the few that have uh, focused on the green and then going to the yellow. So I think green is something you do when you feel you're not strong enough fighting for the yellow bib because everybody wants to fight for the yellow, but they maybe feel that they're not strong enough and then they rather focus on the green bib, getting experience, getting the training, getting the confidence and year by year, step by step, they can close in on the on the yellow one. Okay. Um, and then in 2017, you really had a breakthrough. You won the Vasselop at China. You won the Kaiser Maximilianlauf. Uh, I think that was the snowy year, right? Yeah, that's, uh, that's... and then you and got third in total. So, so something really happened between 2016 and 2017. Did you do anything else training-wise? Yeah, uh, we didn't change so much. I think I just uh, was starting to absorb the training better. Uh, and uh, maybe not focusing so much on the green bib made me save up some energy for the end result. And the training was quite similar. We have done, yeah, every year we have these camps we do, and we do it in the same way. And I just got stronger and stronger year by year. And Roslope China, the biggest guys, the strongest guys, they went racing and it come, came down to a bunch sprint. And uh, yeah, I, luckily I did did get my first win there, but it wasn't, uh, I don't consider it as my first, uh, or my, I look at Kaiser Maximilianlauf some weeks later as my first big triumph because there everybody, all the big guys, all the big fishes were on the start line and uh, but also there it came down to a sprint finish with a lot of guys. So you just, first and foremost, you needed to be super fast. And back then I was, and then I, yeah, that, then I did manage to get first. And uh, yeah, but if it hadn't been snowing and it would be a hard race, I would be dropped in the last uphills. So, yeah. Yeah, so I think many people thought that, yeah, well... Andreas was third in total, but Vaslop at China, all the best weren't there. Kaiser was just sprinting. But then you showed everyone in 2008 that you were uh, <laughs> a real <laughs> long-distance skier that can manage really tough courses. You won the Berkey, uh, I believe. Some people thought that, okay, now this is for real. Or have you heard that thought before? Hmm. No, but yeah, I was actually a bit surprised that I could win a race like Berkebane because everybody was saying that no, you're just a sprinter and you're too heavy and you're too tall and everything. Berkey is not the race for you. But uh, yeah, actually, I I knew I was in really good shape and I had won the first race of the season and then I got a long sickness in the Christmas and I had to use some time to bounce back but in March the, the shape was back on top and uh, that season we also had really really good skis I think compared with a lot of our uh, competitors and if you always have a small small advantage on the skis it's it's hard for the other guys to to keep up and I remember winning Berkey was yeah, maybe to this day my biggest achievement as a, as a skier, just because people who win the Berkey are usually 
that or they are super super strong skiers with high capacity and uh, there are it's not the guy who people winning Burke it, it's never a surprise it's never a guy you never heard of so yeah it was a big big goal and then the last two years you won the yellow bib you have won a bunch of races uh, and, and also a milestone just as the Berkey was that you you won your first solo victory in Ulleslevi in 2019 <laughs> how, how come you 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 never take off before the sprint otherwise what tell me tell us about that race yeah Levy coming in Levy I I still was still had a fight with Pat Radiasen uh, but I but I knew my shape was good and my shape is always good at the end of the season March and April has been the best months of my whole whole skiing career so so I knew the shape was good and it turned out that my skis and the form of the day also was top 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 so early on I felt felt I had a good day and in the last uphills yeah 10k or something before the finish line I just yeah actually I didn't try to get the gap it was quite a steep uphill and I just thought I have to get up this without uh, herring bones and then I so then I had to go all in and then I turned around and saw people struggling and then I just decided from that yeah, I will just find a high pace not suicide pace and uh, if they catch me they will catch me but I will uh, kill them in the sprint and if they don't catch me it will be a really really cool win and uh, yeah coming solo to the finish line in a tough race like that was was a milestone for me and uh, people has always been telling me I'm just staying in staying behind and sprinting and and that's quite true I have always yeah always been uh, more a sprinter type and waiting for the finish line and uh, yeah so it was nice to do something else so how is the feeling uh, when you come in there on the straightaway when there is no one besides you no one behind no one in front <laughs> yeah uh, i have to admit it it was if if it was if not the best at least top three of my best days skiing ever because I had a lot of family there. My girlfriend were, was there. The yellow bib was on stake. The Nordic Trophy was on stake. The, the weather was perfect. And uh, coming solo, yeah, was uh, an amazing feeling and uh, a totally new feeling for someone someone like me always always staying behind and waiting for the sprint so yeah something i definitely want to try to achieve in the future but usually i'm not strong enough usually i've i have uh, big troubles just staying staying with the strongest guys and trying to wait for the finish so uh, we will see training wise you you live in Tromsø, as you said, you have lots of snow and you have the camps with uh, Team Ragde where you, you train a lot. Is it uh, one week every month or how, how many camps do you have? Yeah, depending on my uh, situation at the university, we, the goal every year is to try to have one camp one week every every month throughout the build-up and the last few years we have been quite a lot up in the altitude in uh, Livigno. Uh, besides of that uh, I stay a lot up here in the north. Uh, I have luckily I have a good agreement with the university that I can we have some big treadmills here so I do a lot of sessions on the roller ski treadmills and yeah just a lot of training What's your favorite uh, treadmill workout on roller ski? For me, uh, I am a big believer of uh, threshold training. Just trying to get that lactate threshold uh, aerobic capacity pushed as far up as I can. So I like to do long, long intervals, 10, 12, 15 minutes, four or five times, making it 
50 60 minutes with with the total amount of time with intervals and I don't have a favorite session but uh, I have some do you standard do double sessions. pulling or striding yeah last year I did quite some striding also but usually I'm only I just go double pulling and what's your heart rate like percentage of max yeah I try to stay a lot, a uh, lot around maybe 85% of maximum heart rate. Thereabout on good days when I feel fresh, I can push up to 90%. And if I have a bad day, maybe a little less. Just trying to stay around the, the sweet spot. Okay, so that's you measure in your blood, like four millimoles of lactate or something. Yeah, trying to stay under. Yeah, or around three, three millimoles on the on the lactate. Not not uh, more than that. So, so if the listeners want to do this workout outside, it's four by fifteen minutes double pulling with how many minutes of rest? Yeah, like ninety seconds up to yeah two minutes depends on on the guy sticking me in the finger and how <laughs> how well trained he is so just drink a bit measure the blood lactate and then you start again yeah i guess measuring blood lactate won't happen for uh, for most of us <laughs> yeah. uh, but we can look at our heart rate monitor and around 85 yeah, percent and and do you ski uphill in these workouts on the treadmill yeah, I usually go uphill something between five, four, five percent up to eleven percent. So I stay stay around something between there. What What's the advantage and disadvantage of skiing too steep uphill on a workout like this? Ah, I only see advantages. For me, it's a really good way to work on my aerobic capacity. Just really easy to control the heart rate trying to not go too hard and trying to not get too much lactate and just being just be working hard but not super hard for a good amount of time i think uh, in my younger days i pushed way too hard on the intervals and pushed too hard on the easy sessions also so as the older i get I think the more control I have on the training. How many interval workouts do you do every week? Like from uh, May till November? I don't do as much as I uh, maybe planned and hoped for because usually I get tired, really tired training too much intervals. So I guess I will be having yeah six to seven intervals per month. So in average i i guess i'll be averaging somewhere between one and two interval sessions a week is the rest easy or is it like a medium pace or no it's uh easy pace especially when i'm alone but uh, on the training camps sometimes you do a little bit uh, more medium but we are um, Tordas Lerdan, he's quite strict on the intensity. So when it's supposed to be easy, we go easy. And when it's hard, we go hard on the on the training camps. Uh, back in the days, I think when Jörgen still was in shape and Anders was a little bit younger, uh, the pace on the easy sessions was some, uh, yeah, maybe... 10 to 15 heartbeats higher than it's it's now so we are taking it a little bit more uh, calm on the training camps now than compared to before i am jürgen Aukland, team manager for uh, team rugged eindom and i think it was back in 2014 when uh, when i first met up with uh, andreas nygård uh, he had been skiing quite good in uh, in national sprints and some Scandinavian Cup races. Uh, and I knew his, his coach, Carl Gunnar Schönfeldt, and he had uh, told him about uh, Andreas, uh, his uh, ambitions about long-distance skiing, his talent and his uh, physique. Uh, he's a strong, big, uh, big uh, guy. We called him up, uh, and me and Anders, they were... Uh, 
telling him about how fun it was to do long distance skiing and uh, we would help him to develop. When we first met him, he, he was exactly what we expected and hoped for. Passion for the sport, uh, lots of uh, guts. He could see uh, sky was the limit. So he was quite focused that uh, the Vasalopper was like the, the main goal already back uh, in uh, 2014. Step by step, we, we helped him to develop and now he's the best uh, long distance skier and it's been uh, really fun working with Andreas. He's a really, really nice uh, guy, both in the tracks, but also as a person, he's a really good guy. I think many wants to hear like what's your values like what's your te- how have you been testing what's your VO2 max VO2 max I think uh, varies a lot depending on my weight <laughs> so my weight uh, can be quite big difference in the in the off season and the on season and um, I have been testing quite a lot and testing quite a lot on the same places and uh the to max is supposed to be the golden standard but uh i feel uh, you can hear people testing really high at some place and really low on a different place but i have been testing the highest i have been testing here in uh, yeah both trums and alta is uh, up to yeah 79 80 milliliter per minute per kilos on the roller skis double polling and uh, in running i have been uh, the highest i have measured is 83 84 running uh, running uphill on the treadmill but uh, i have had a lot of tests where i usually i'm somewhere between mid 70s and and the 80s have you increased have you you've been able to increase this as an adult like from you were 25 to 30 years old i haven't tested so much running actually the last years the last years uh, it has been more double polling and uh, and diagonal skiing on the treadmill but uh, i think my vo2 maximum has uh, has yeah, I don't know if it has increased because I haven't been measuring every year running, but uh, I have been more focused on velocity, VO2 max, so the speed I'm having when I when I test how high I can come and and uh, on my uh, lactate uh, threshold. So I don't think VO2 max uh, per kilos are the, that important in uh, long distance skiing. You were mentioning about your weight and, and also uh, in this interview with uh, Tordas Jardalen, he said he was like, could be so much more heavy off, off season. C- can you tell me about this? Uh, like, how many kilos do you differ between uh, wintertime and summertime? Mm, yeah, I'm not that uh, <laughs> extreme as uh, Tord, but uh, yeah, today I was. In my boxers in the morning, I was 92 and a half kilos, and I guess I was on my lightest around much longer than I would be around. Yeah, when I'm totally emptied uh, for glycogen and and water, I'll be around in the morning after visiting the toilet. I will be around 86 and a half. So it's still six kilos. Yeah, it's quite a difference. Like How do you do it practically? Like, do you eat uh, lots of uh, <laughs> bad food in the in the spring, and and you avoid desserts in in the fall, or? Yeah, something like that. It's it's quite easy. It's just it's nothing. Everybody, if you weigh too much, you just eat less. It's not not a big deal, and. Uh, off season, I tend to eat whatever I want when I want. I can't remember the last time I was hungry, to be honest. And uh, in the autumn, and maybe especially from December, heading into the heading into the races in high altitude and heading into Marcelonga, I just cut the crap. I just eat when I'm, my stomach says I'm hungry, and then I try to avoid the. The shitty food, too much candy, and no sodas and stuff so like that. So in the first race in Lavinia, you you are still heavier than you are in the middle of the season. 
Yeah, usually I'm not. I, I, the last years I've been quite skinny at the first races also, but usually well, around Jan- January my I have my my lowest body weight. But I don't know if that's uh, the best thing to do or not. Usually I feel super strong in Birken and Vasan and in Levi and yeah, when I won in Levi last year I was uh, over 90 kilos. So yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty controversial subject, this. We have uh, big, big problems in uh, traditional skiing with this. Uh, mm. The people are not only uh, light, they're also, it's affect their health. Um, how do you think skiers should approach this? I mean, uh, in, what's the difference between cycling and skiing and what's the difference between uh, long distance skiing and traditional skiing uh, and how important is the weight Mm. compared to cycling it's totally different i think in cycling you are just using half of your body and you're and in cross-country skiing you're using the both the upper body and the the feet so uh, i think the demands of uh getting good results are a little bit different and in cycling especially in the uphills it's just physics that's that it's uh, advantage being lightweight and you want to get a lot of watts per kilos and that's not the case in cross-country skiing but for me it's actually no problem i don't quite understand uh, why people think of it as a problem because the weight it's it, it is relevant and it's out there and people are yeah some are eating a little bit too less and someone are someone eats too much but it's a part of the game and i think it's it should be something we can all talk about and be honest and open about and uh, people need to get the right information because you don't have to be the be the skinniest guy or the leanest woman to to win races uh, if we i think both me and britta has shown that the, the weight isn't uh, the most important thing you need to you need to be strong and you need to eat a lot and you need to need to eat the right stuff and you need to train a lot and then if then you get strong and the weight follows follows what you eat and what you train and the focus should not be on getting more lightweight the focus should be on just eating healthy normal food and train hard as hell a few questions here about so your family situation is you that you have a girlfriend and you you live in and a chihuahua and a chihuahua (laughs) yeah that's that's great and if you uh, get kids, uh, will you still live in Tromsø, or do you will you move to a house somewhere else, or what's your plans? Yeah, uh, the, uh, the uh, I don't think I will get uh, any kids uh, very soon, but I know I will be living in Tromsø for at least yeah, five more five more years, and after that we will see. My girlfriend is from Bodø and. I'm from further up north, so we will see where we end up. But I really like Tromsø, and it's a it's a perfect place for me now. Yeah. And what's your education? Um, I'm studying to become. I'm studying for the moment, so no, so so just a professional skier as of today. But uh, what are you studying? Studying uh, medicine at the university here in Tromsø, and I'm supposed to start on the the fourth year, fourth year now in the in the fall. So we will see. What's your favorite workout? When I'm in shape, I really like to go six by six minutes uphill running with poles. Uh, so that will be maybe two three weeks in October and. Uh, <laughs> A part of that, I really like easy sessions in the spring on the yeah when it's snowing when you have good tracks in May and the sun is shining and you can go with almost only shorts and just go for four five six hours easy easy skating. I think I think that's my that's my favorite. Do you often do those very long workouts or do you train twice a day? The last years I've been doing 
a lot. I've been training as traditional as I can. I think I try to get 10, 11 sessions a week. And the last years I haven't had those really, really long, long training sessions because I, I think that's something that just lies quite naturally for me. Uh, I've been always good at long long skiing and the longer it gets the better I feel I get compared with those I'm competing with so just normal training two times a day and maybe two sessions a week where I go something between three and four hours easy so and what's your worst workout running intervals with uh, bad legs uh, <laughs> I think that's uh, that when you don't get your heart rate up and you just produce a lot of lactate. That's uh, that's the worst. Uh, as uh, except for that, I I, I love ninety nine percent of every training session, and I'm my own trainer and my own coach, so I just do the stuff I like. <laughs> do you write a plan? Like, do do you write it down on Sunday evening for the next week, or do you write it down in your head, or do you just wake up? Oh, I'm feel like going for roller ski today. How does it work? Now, compared to when I was a little bit younger, when I was younger, I planned a lot what I was supposed to do the next week and the week after that, and I I still plan. I think about training twenty four seven, but to, now it's more like a day-to-day basis and I try to the plan is always to try to get in a few quality sessions a week and maybe some strength training but I don't plan that much anymore I just go more like day by day and uh, yeah do what I feel like this must be classics uh, we've done 10 seasons there are um, lots of developments every year. What do you think about uh, the last years of Visma Ski Classics and what do you think about the future? Like, for example, number of races and if we need skating races and, and so on. Mm. Uh, as a skier, I first and foremost try to focus on, on the skiing and trying to get in the best shape I can and, and leave the, the organizing part to, to others. But... Uh, I think the season is um, quite good as it is. Uh, I think maybe we could have started uh, with some more longer races before Christmas. Uh, I'm not the biggest fan of these short races in high altitude uh, on on loops where we only go for for an hour or one hour and a half. Uh, But that's maybe because I'm not that good at it and uh, maybe we could have had some more races in in the middle part of the season in february instead of having so many races in, in a row in january and maybe one thing i think could be really nice if, if it would be if we had races maybe on friday and sunday with that we would do two races or maybe friday sunday and wednesday when we are down in the alps and just because it's quite expensive for all the teams going up and down up and down and staying a long time on the same place also can be quite expensive so when we're down there in the alps why not race much more because we train the whole year around and we want to ski so maybe yeah there's a lot of things that could be done, but... What do you I'm think quite... about doing the whole uh, January tour on, in one week? Like a 50k race every day for a week? Yeah, I think that would be, uh, that would be awesome. I think, uh, yeah, why not? I think that would be a really good idea. And uh, yeah, why not? Um, uh, that's something that sounds really, really good for me, uh, at least. <laughs> we'll pass it on. Um, <laughs> This season, you, you had, uh, of course, a great season since you won the, the yellow bib. Uh, and, but something happened that someone that sprinted you down in uh, <laughs> Kaiser Maximilian Lauf, um, Emil Persson from Lager 157 ski team, he was just ahead of you in a sprint and, and uh, 
What do you think about that? Is that the, the new guy to beat in a sprint? I think for sure in the in the sprint finish, if he still has some uh, power left on the tank, he is he has shown both in Livigno before Christmas and in Seefeld on Kaiser Maximilian Love that he is that he, he that is super fast and he's shown it uh, on the roller skis the last summer also and. Uh, I think he would just get faster and faster and uh, stronger and stronger. So he's a guy not only I should look up for, but uh, everyone should uh, look up for because I think we have just seen the seen the start of it. Yeah. Okay. And how do you? The last question here. How do you look on your future as a, as a skier? Like how for how long are you going to ski? Good question. Today I don't see an end to to my skiing career. Hopefully I will have the opportunity to to ski for for some more years. At least I'm really mo- motivated and uh, have a life that allows me to to keep chasing my dreams in the what, what's your in dreams the tracks. more than just having this lifestyle? What do you want to win? Ah, for me it's not the biggest thing to win races uh, because it depends on such many variables that you can't control so my biggest my biggest motivation is to just improve myself every day trying to be stronger and faster and smarter that I, that I have been before and uh, if you do that the chances of uh, winning big races also increase so but yeah I have to admit that I want to win the Vasalop at least some sometimes more than I than I had and uh, winning Marcelonga also would have been uh, been a great deal for me but uh, I think every race and every competition has its prestige because it's the same guys you're competing with and it's over it's it's the same if if you if you can win a small race you can win the big race and vice versa so just trying to improve every day and then the then the results will come uh, but yeah i have to admit that the older you get the maybe more you focus and the more you dream of winning the the biggest one and the biggest one is Vasilop and Birken and Marcelonga that's that's and just you have the one way left. it is yeah See. <laughs> So you need Marshall Longa to have the big three. Yeah, I do. Okay, Andreas. Uh, thank you very, very much. And uh, enjoy your time up north. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. So, yeah. This podcast is a W Sports Media production.